Hello, mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. <laughs> Do you know how I remember that song? I remember it as a Downey softener commercial. You miss Downey. That's so pleasing. April freshness. That's one reason. Downey softness. That's another. Oh my God. <laughs> You know, this is the official introduction to Shadow Love Summer Camp. Shadow Love Summer Camp starts now. And I thought it would be fun to kick things off with three summer popcorn movies that actually feature the shadow, the human shadow, the Jungian shadow. I actually think most movies, if you pay attention you can watch it from the perspective of the shadow, looking for all the different ways that the human shadow shows up in stories about humans. Often it is projected on to the antagonist or the villain. So sometimes the hero is just very, very, very pure and his shadow is externalized. And then other times in more sophisticated movies or quiet indie movies, it's more of an internal thing like it is typically in our own lives. The first of these three movies has to be Raiders of the Lost Ark because, much to my surprise, Indiana Jones stepped up to be my guide for Shadow Love Summer Camp. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of shadow work, which is not unusual. I actually enjoy doing shadow work, which is why I think Indiana Jones is my guide this summer, because I really wanted to do some concentrated shadow work this summer just to process and integrate everything that came up in the last year and a half of this pandemic that we all experienced together. I definitely had a peak fear moment where I recognized I was making decisions out of fear and had gotten myself into some old patterns. And it was at the peak of this moment that I realized, oh my gosh, this is some old shadowy crap. I thought I was through all this already that I was able to then be like, well, I have a choice. I can let this go or I can stay in this old pattern and I chose to let it go. I'm very proud to say. But one of the processes that I've been doing lately are these guided meditations. And in one of them, the guide has you imagine that you are getting on a plane and the plane is supposed to take you to your sacred space, your favorite spot. For me, this is the forest in Big Sur, like a clearing in Big Sur. And it really surprised me when I got to that point in the guided meditation and she said to imagine that I am getting on an airplane and my mind was like, nope, 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 nope. I don't like airplanes. My biological dad and grandfather died together in an airplane when my mom was pregnant with me. And I'm also extremely claustrophobic. So every time I get on an airplane, it's a whole thing. 
this is not relaxing. This is not a good guided meditation situation for Joanna. So right away, my imagination just automatically pulled up a modification. And my plane was this open air, it looked like an old fashioned World War II era two-seater airplane, but it was open. Like if you were riding in this plane, the wind would be blowing through your hair. And this plane like slowly rode up on me and I jumped inside like a rock and roll adventure. Like, yes, let's go on an adventure. And who was piloting that plane? None other than Indiana Jones. <laughs> and we didn't really talk. It was just like, hey, Hey, I hopped in the plane, he flew me to my favorite spot in Big Sur, and then I hopped out, and it was like, knock yourself out, have fun, kid, and then he took off. And after it, I was like, that is so funny. <laughs> Why? Why Indiana Jones? And then, of course, I had to think about that, and I started thinking about Raiders of the Lost Ark and all the shadow themes in that movie particularly if you consider his quest. He's going for the gold. I think many of us who do shadow work, we're looking for the gold in our shadows. And when I say gold, when it comes to Indiana Jones, I'm talking about these ancient artifacts, these priceless artifacts, and how he will risk life and limb and barely make it out of a sticky situation <laughs> intact and... The opening scene to Indiana Jones is a perfect demonstration of something that I learned about in a screenwriting column called Word Player. They, they, I think they coined this term called impressive failure about Indiana Jones because he fails all the way through this movie, but he does so impressively. Therefore, he is the hero and we root for him. And I'll never forget learning that because I was so excited by the concept of impressive failure. And I was like, yes, this is how I live my life. So when he showed up as like kind of a guide for me, like a shadow guide, I was like, that's so kind of on the nose because I love shadow work. I always feel like, all right, we're going in and it's an adventure. And I know it might be scary. And I know it might bring up some unexpected, uncomfortable things, but the hope is that I will emerge with the prize, another little piece of myself intact. So that's a movie I would recommend watching for how the villains reflect his shadow, but also there's this moment in that opening scene where he goes into the cave and there's all the booby traps and all of that, and he gets to the statue that he's trying to get to, and he doesn't want to set one of the booby traps off, so he tries to trick the cave that he's in by switching out really carefully this bag of sand for the gold statue, thinking that it's a matter of weight. If he can match the weight, he'll get away with it. And he thinks it works for a second. And he's like, ha ha, but it's too late. The booby has been trapped. <laughs> the booby traps have been set off and he barely escapes with his life. And in the end, someone steals the statue from him. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler, it's too late now. I spoiled it. I feel like we've all seen Indiana Jones, or I wouldn't be talking about it like this. But if you have kids and they've never seen it, it's a good one to watch. And then in the back of your mind, you can be like, 
hmm, this is like a shadowy moment. Very interesting. I think the end of the movie, and this is a huge spoiler, if for some amazing reason you've never seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, plug your ears for like 30 seconds. <laughs> At the end of the movie, the Nazis open this Ark of the Covenant that Indy has managed to help acquire, and the good guys know they have to turn their heads away or their whole faces will melt off, but the bad guys don't know. So all the Nazi faces are melted off as all of this what comes pouring out of the Ark of the Covenant, all of this power, all of this energy, all of this light. And to me, that's very shadowy. To me, that's why I think we're afraid to lift the lid on our shadow. We're afraid of what's going to come out. We're afraid it's going to melt our faces off. And it, it very well might. It could. It could. You never know. <laughs> uh, that's actually not a laughing matter if you're a person who has mental health issues or you're in a severe depression. I highly recommend working with a therapist if you want to venture into shadow work. But for the kind of shadow work that I like to do, and taking my own mental health into consideration, I find this stuff weirdly enjoyable. So Raiders of the Lost Ark, I would highly recommend. The second movie I have seen 10 bajillion times because I love it. It is called Hope Floats. Hope Floats with Sandra Bullock and Harry Connick Jr. Jenna Rollins is an absolute light in this movie. And it's her daughter, played by Sandra Bullock, who has a lot of shadow issues she has to work through when she has to move back home with her tail tucked between her legs because her heart has been broken and her world has been shattered. And she left town on a high horse. So she gets taken down quite a few pegs and she feels sorry for herself. And she works through some shadow stuff to get the love that her soul needs and craves. And it's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful movie if you love a romance. It's not a romantic comedy because there's not much comedy. It's just a really heartfelt, beautiful movie. Good summer popcorn movie for sure. And then the third is hilarious. It stars... My beloved and still very much missed John Candy. I love him so much. I love him so much. He was the first celebrity that died that I actually cried and felt a bit heartbroken over. I just loved his movies. And the one I'm thinking about right now is The Great Outdoors. And <laughs> he's awesome in it. But when I think of like shadow characters, Dan Aykroyd and Annette Bening, <laughs> Holy smokes. They are like two walking shadows tearing up this movie. John Candy and his family get this cabin in the woods for their summer vacation. And then his obnoxious brother brings his wife and kids unexpectedly to horn in on their vacation. But he's so arrogant and shadowy and obnoxious and... Of course, it creates this really icky dynamic that they all end up having to work through, and then the truth comes out, and then there's just a whole lot of comedy that ensues in the process because it's an 80s movie. <laughs> it's very lighthearted, silly, but also, if you want to look at it with an eye for finding the shadow content, I promise it's there. 
Every life has its seasons with some magic we'll get through. Hippie witch has her reasons and she's sharing them with you. Hippie witch season five. Hello! Thanks for joining me for episode 514 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe and I am the groovy creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, Putting the K in Magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick a big copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com where you will also find the show notes for this episode which is all about shadowy shadowy stuff the shadows of summer specifically and I guess I'm not done talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones (laughs) I have things I want to say about the shadows of summer but Raiders of the Lost Ark is such a summer movie, a summer blockbuster. And after I had that meditation moment where Indiana Jones popped up unexpectedly piloting this plane, I kept seeing Indiana Jones stuff everywhere. It was so weird. And then finally, a few days ago, I was in the grocery store and one of the magazines by the checkout was a special edition, this is so sad, (laughs) it was a special edition 4D, 40th anniversary issue dedicated to Raiders of the Lost Ark because Raiders of the Lost Ark is now 40 years old, which means I'm old. And so I must have seen it because this was happening Indiana Jones probably was just popping up a lot in the media. And I was like, this is some crazy synchronicity. He is my shadow guide. He's everywhere I turn. And guess what? He is because there's so much to mine there on so many different levels. And it doesn't matter why a synchronicity is happening. There's probably always a logical explanation for it. Like, well, it's the 40th anniversary for this movie. So you probably were already seeing images of this movie and you really just didn't put it together until you had the guided meditation and you thought it was your original idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was synchronicity, okay? Because I chose to acknowledge it. I chose to give it significance. One of the things when I think about Raiders of the Lost Ark in the context of the shadow that I choose to give significance are the snakes. He is afraid of snakes, as we all should be to some degree, like a healthy respect, but he actually has a phobia of snakes. And this is introduced really early in the movie when he gets picked up in a plane, like he picked me up in my imagination (laughs) at the beginning of the movie when he escapes by the skin of his teeth from that first adventure in the cave a buddy of his picks him up in one of these little two-seater airplanes and there's a snake in the plane and this is where we learn that he hates snakes he has a phobia so of course then what happens later in the movie is he is confronted by a pit of snakes, which he falls into. He comes face to face with a snake, and there are snakes crawling all around him. It's interesting to contemplate what the snake could represent to him as a shadow, 
because the snake has such heavy symbolism all throughout human history. It's one of our most ancient symbols. I suspect it is because we are basically snakes with bodies built around us when you consider like mouth to anus, right? And then of course we have the reptilian brain, that part of ourselves that gets triggered, reacting in a really like self-defensive strange way and bringing us back to survival instincts. So there's all of that. But then we also have the Garden of Eden and the evil snake, the fall of man because this snake was evil. This snake tempted man to eat of the fruit of the garden and then Man developed shame and a sinful nature, and that was our fall from grace, supposedly, according to the religion that our culture is entirely built upon. But typically, the snake in these stories is the bad guy and represents often to something low, something filthy, something beneath us that we are superior to which is basically the whole of nature. This is where we're at right now as a society. Nature is dirty and low and beneath us and something to be mastered and controlled and something that we are superior to and have dominion over. But then also the snake is a symbol of healing. We have two snakes in that classic medical symbol that you will see on the side of an ambulance or a hospital or some medicine that caduceus is classic symbolism for healing which again hello nature healing we have this bizarre tension that we've built into our culture in which the very thing that we need healing from we have demonized and it's extremely complex in addition to that, just to make it more complex, I think the snakes represent a huge cultural shadow. Indiana Jones specifically is going into these indigenous cultures or these ancient cultures, and he is stealing their prized religious artifacts. This is cultural abuse. This is plundering. This is stealing. And the way that the native peoples are represented in this movie is kind of like the snake. Dangerous, filthy, they know all the secret hiding spots and they set up all these booby traps. There's something to be feared, but also they're just kind of like wallpaper. Just something to be dealt with so you can get to the good stuff, which is their sacred religious artifacts. Now, you could argue that the Nazis are trying to steal the artifacts and use them for evil purposes, and Indy is really the good guy because he's getting in there first to get these artifacts for the museum. But I think at this point in our evolution, we can also recognize this is glorified colonialism and Indiana Jones's an American hero. He is one of our greatest movie icons. He represents all we want to be. And he is heroic. He is brave. But also he has his weaknesses and his shadows. And never is it acknowledged that, hey, maybe we shouldn't be stealing this stuff from these people. It's really about the evil Nazis versus the good Americans and, and who is entitled to these sacred objects. 
I feel like this ties in with the snakes because of St. Patrick's Day. I will never forget. I don't remember what year it was, but I do remember the experience of being online and getting ready to be like, happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody, green, all the things. And then the pagans got very upset. It was the year that I started seeing all of the pagan memes about how St. Patrick chased the pagans out of the land and they were the snakes that he chased out of the land. It was the pagans that he did this to. And I actually don't even know if that's true, but it certainly took the fun out of celebrating St. Patrick's Day. And so there again is that snake symbolism. Pagans are people who are very much in touch with the land and do not see nature as being low or beneath them or something to be controlled or afraid of. So snake symbolism is perfect. I'm quite certain that Steven Spielberg did not have all of this in mind when he made Raiders of the Lost Ark, although he's a very intelligent man. I'm sure he had some ideas, but you cannot tell a story about a human going through the hero's journey without some kind of shadow thing showing up. You know, these metaphors happen just accidentally because they're who we are. This is how our stories take shape because the shadow is us. We are the shadow. Which brings me around to today's subject, which is the shadows of summer and why I hate it, <laughs> why I hate summer, and why I think summer is therefore the perfect time to do a deep dive into shadow work. But first, I have to thank the very wonderful people who support the show over on Patreon. I cannot remember where I left off last, so if I'm repeating names or forgetting names, I apologize. I'm a little kooky that way sometimes. <laughs> I'm not the most organized person, but hopefully we're doing double shout outs and not missing anyone. So thank you so much to Helen, Angel, Shaylin, Shaylin, Shaylin. I'm going to say Shaylin, and I have no idea how to say X-A-N. Jean, Zan. I apologize for screwing up your name which looks very cool with that giant X, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Thank you so much for supporting the show over on Patreon. Thank you, Laura, Amy, Lena, and another that I definitely cannot pronounce. C-I-E-L-L-E. Ciela. <laughs> Ciela. I'm not from Southern California. Fleur. I do know what that is. Fleur means flower. I know some things. Thank you so much for being a patron. I hope you're enjoying all of the content over there and the community. And without further ado, let's get to the shadows of summer. Why I hate summer. Let me tell ya. I didn't always hate summer. When I was a little kid, I loved it. I look back on it now, my childhood, my summer days of childhood, with nothing but smiles. It's all happy memories. Maybe I've chosen to block out all the rest, but as I remember it, summer was about hanging around the pool with the moms and all the kids hanging together, really. The parents were just peripheral. 
They didn't want anything to do with us, and we didn't want anything to do with them. And as long as no one got too crazy, we could just pretend that we were in our own world and actually get pretty wild in it. We had some fun times, me and my cousins and my sister and our parents' best friends' kids and it was a lot of swimming, a lot of wandering the neighborhood, a lot of climbing fences and trees, playing Star Wars in the trees, making tents in the backyard, all that good stuff. It was also hot as hell, but we were little kids, so we didn't care. We had a swimming pool and we lived in our swimming pool. My mother said that it was basically our babysitter and it was. <laughs> we just were in the pool all the time. And so the heat didn't really bother us much. In fact, we would lay out on the sidewalk until it got too hot and burnt our belly. And then we would like roll back into the water and kind of go back and forth with this all day long. <laughs> just good memories. But then things start to get weirder in the proverbial Garden of Eden as we all get older and we start to enter into puberty and then we realize the nakedness of our bodies when before that year after year we would run around with our butt cheeks hanging out the bottom of our bathing suits and flip-flops and stringy hair and just muddy and tan and Perfectly carefree until dun, 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 the dawn of puberty and all of a sudden, you know, body issues are an issue and people kind of start picking on each other more and it got a little bit darker around that time, but not a whole lot until I think mid high school. My life, I experienced some traumas and some disturbing events in the summertime that I didn't realize at the time, but looking back, I can be like, ooh, I don't remember a happy summer after that. I remember wanting to hide and not walk around in the sun in my bikini and be fabulous. I literally started hiding out from people and hiding out from the sun. And I think that's when I became agoraphobic, which literally means being afraid to leave your house. And this happened kind of parallel to me learning about the perils of skin cancer. And I had grown up in the sun tanning. I used to use tanning beds in the winter time. I did that, I think two winters in high school. And then I've always been a very vain person. <laughs> I've always cared about fashion and beauty and all that stuff. And at the time, for whatever reason, I fell into this information about needing to wear UVA and UV block. This was like the new unheard of thing. You need both to prevent aging and skin cancer and all this thing. So I went from being a person who was tan, tan, tan all the time to being just white, <laughs> so white that after I left my hometown for Los Angeles and I would come back to visit, people kept asking me if I was ill and telling me I did not look good because they weren't used to my natural color. And 
actually tan was my natural color in the summertime, which is kind of part of my point. Not only was I hiding from people and staying indoors, but I also developed a fear of the sun and would slather myself in sunblock. And I should add to that this is also the time when scientists or whatever the commercial sunblock industry started selling 30 SPF and then shortly thereafter 50 SPF and it would cost a lot of money. You'd have to go out of your way to get these extra strength SPFs. Ain't nothing getting through them. That was the kind of SPF I was wearing. So I withdrew from the world. I withdrew from the sun and I shrouded myself in sunblock and worried incessantly that I had already given myself skin cancer and just it was the end of the world all the time and that is how I entered into my 20s and I went on from there to have a pretty disturbing experience with the first half of my 20s and a pretty bumpy ride for the second half easing up into my 30s. But when I talk about the hot mess years, I'm mostly talking about my mid-teens to my late 20s. And it was in this time that I suffered from a lot of anxiety and depression, but always had the will to try to figure out how to get better. This is how I know as much as I do about psychology, personal development, the new agey, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is due in large part to that experience and not wanting to live my life that way. It was kind of a vicious circle because I would feel anxious and depressed and then I would be angry at myself for not being able to snap out of it or to find the cure. Like I kept looking, you know, and you'd be like, oh, this is the thing that's going to work. And it might work for a little bit, but then I would kind of circle back around and it would kind of make it worse because it just compounded the experience to be angry at myself on top of it. So once I did figure out how to heal myself that way, I became really sensitive to the way that summer made me feel. And it's not until recently that I have linked this up with some disturbing memories from the summertime in my teen years in particular. But I did notice the link and I always linked it to the feeling of lethargy when I feel depressed. And so Anytime it's really, really hot and you just feel kind of heavy, naturally, everyone does. It reminds me so much of what it felt like to be depressed that it just, whoo, it's very triggering to me. I don't like it. And so I get irritated and upset about it. And that does not help matters. <laughs> That's part of the vicious circle. So I've had to learn reluctantly to become very zen about it and be like, here it comes, here it comes. Some years I try to make a fun thing of it here on the podcast this year. Let me tell you how much fun we're going to have. I'm going to do something called Shadow Love Summer Camp because of everything I just said. All the things, all the reasons that summer is hard for me 
They all have everything to do with why I think this summer is an awesome time to do some shadow work. Particularly if you don't have air conditioning, it can be a very irritating, itchy time. And it's a time that I think people kind of do strange things. And kids are out of school and mischief is in the air. And toward the end of the summer, it starts to really get weird. Or is that just me? That might just be my experience, but I feel like weird crimes happen and strange phenomenon that is just, it just has that late summer, the dog days of summer vibe to it. There's something kind of spooky and weird about it. It's just all very dark. <laughs> it's supposed to be the lightest time of the year, but I tend to see it not just as dark, but also as this liminal in-between period because I grew up in America. And here in America, we train our kids very, very early into this rhythm where we get the great in-between time for three months every summer, and then we get a smaller in-between time around Christmas every December. And these are the in-between times in between school. So life dramatically changes depending on what your home life was like and what school was like for you. It's a big shift to all of a sudden be home all the time, which we all just experienced next level. We just experienced like a year and a half in between time <laughs> and we're going into the summer. And so to me, these in between times are times kind of like the calm before the storm. You're leaving something behind, but you've not yet entered into the thing that is coming. So that could provoke anxiety or excitement, or it feels kind of sexy and alive and spooky, like I said. I mean, that is a compliment, I think. I just like it. In fact, the weather here today is spooky. It's just very unusual. It feels dark and heavy and quiet compared to what it normally feels like because the hot, hot heat has not officially begun. We've had a few heat waves, but so far it's kind of hung out in this like mid eighties area, but it was overcast here today and humid. And it's so interesting the way all of the birds and the animals and the people react to that. We all have this response. It just feels heavier and slower. And so I keep thinking like, this is an amazing time to do shadow work. I love it. It's a great time to do it. And the reason why I decided to call this series I'm doing here on the podcast and the newsletter Shadow Love Summer Camp is because the way I see shadow work is it's, it's a self-love practice. You are finding the unloved parts of yourself and first just learning to acknowledge them and then integrate them and then hopefully love them so you can be your whole self who you're meant to be. So every time you do a little bit of shadow work, the goal hopefully is that, you know, you get a little piece of yourself back or at least just an introduction to that part. <laughs> and you're like, I really hate you, but I'm gonna find a way to at least accept that you're there. That's a beginning. That's a beginning. That's shadow work. 
And the shadow is the denied, rejected parts of yourself that you don't even know are there. They're in your subconscious, which means to do shadow work is tricky. You basically have to play little creative tricks on yourself to get it to come out and, and reveal itself. And one of my favorite ways to do this, one of the simplest ways to do this is to utilize your triggers. You know, people joke on social media, oh, I feel so triggered by that. Well, we tend to know, or other people for sure, the people closest to us tend to know what our triggers are. And if you pay attention, you'll get to learn what kind of things push your buttons. What kind of judgments do you make on other people that are really, really charged? Like you hate this kind of person and it's not enough that you dislike them. It activates something in you. It makes you feel a certain way. You're thinking about it at night when you're trying to go to bed. If somebody really pushes that button or you get a certain sensation in your body when you enter into a specific kind of situation, which funny enough, you always seem to do. Notice the patterns of your life. Notice what relationship problems come up again and again and again. It could be casually in social situations. It's, I think, pretty safe to start with social media if you spend a lot of time on social media. If you're worried about going too deep into your shadows, you don't want to dig into your childhood or examine your relationship with your parents just yet, just start with Instagram and notice how certain things land in your body and make you nervous or outraged or lock you into sort of like an obsessive state and two hours go by and you've whatever hate watched this person or binge researched this doomsday scenario notice what triggers you into reactions like that particularly if there's a pattern and then just start to say hmm you don't really have to analyze it or make a big deal about it. It's just about noticing it and then pausing and being like, huh, this feels really intense or it actually feels like I am losing control of my own thought process or emotions when this particular thing comes up. And then you can dig into it in your journal or on the voice memo feature on your phone or with your best friend or maybe just in a kind of contemplative, meditative state where you start asking yourself, what does this remind me of? Who else pushes my buttons like this? Do I have any memories of this from the past? What other experiences remind me of this? And you can just keep going. You can be like, what is the first instance of me having this reaction. How far back in my memory can I go? And you just witness yourself. You just notice this is a pattern. And if you sit with it long enough and ask it what it wants, ask it what it's trying to show you, you sometimes will find that what is being triggered is a part of yourself that you've rejected, so you project it onto other people. So you don't like inconsiderate people, but you can't see the ways that you yourself 
are inconsiderate. Extremely so. You're a super inconsiderate person. Everybody knows it, but you can't see it. And you have no tolerance for other inconsiderate people. That means no being late. That means X, Y, Z. Or they're a problem because they're reminding you of a part of yourself that you do not like and that you find shameful in some way or unacceptable. It could also be that someone is demonstrating one of your gifts that you have not allowed yourself to embrace or develop because it was not valued in your family or in the community that you grew up in, you were shamed for having this gift. And so to see someone else acting it out on the world stage, it hurts. It hurts. It pushes that button because that is your gift to develop and to give. And that is calling to you. That It's painful, but it's trying to get your attention and be like, remember who you are. Remember this. This is sitting here. The reason you hate this person is because they are showing you something that matters to you deeply, on a deep level, on a soul level. And those are, those are fun things to find in the shadow. It's, it's a little bit heartbreaking to realize that you've denied yourself such a special piece of who you are, but then it's a thrill when you learn to start integrating that into your personality with intention, deliberately. I always feel like I'm taking the side of my inner child when I do that. That I'm like, you and me, kid, I'm doing this for the both of us. And it just feels really good. What I'm always excited to discover is the root of it. And if you hang with this line of inquiry long enough, you can sometimes get to the root of it. If you're afraid of what's in your shadow because you're afraid some really intense trauma is going to come up, something that you're not ready for, you definitely should work with a therapist of some kind. But I enjoy this kind of light, surfacey inquiry, even if it leads me to a place where I might end up sobbing, which is interesting because this often comes up when I get in touch with maybe a childhood memory and what I actually needed in that moment. When I take myself back through that memory and I re-envision it how I wish it would be, that's usually when the sobs happen. And I realize, oh, this need was not met. And it was a real need. And my body has been hanging on to it for all this time. So just witnessing that need is enough to create like a full body experience where I'm crying and my chest is shaking and uh, like a boohoo experience. And there is some healing in that. It's not the end, but it's the door opening. Like you have the choice then to walk through and follow up on that with actions, with changes in behavior, but you have that like golden awareness. And that's, this is why I enjoy shadow work. I'm like, yay, shadow work. And everybody's like, it's so hard. And I'm like, but it's awesome. It's awesome. It's amazing. I want to know what's in there. I don't think I'll ever get to the bottom of it. But the shadow is so important and so useful. It is not a bad thing. It's protecting you. It's trying to keep you safe. And 
if you don't pry it open with a crowbar, like it's Pandora's box, and you're like, hey, let's see what's in there. I feel like it can be a pretty gentle journey that can take years and years and years. And I'm okay with that. Like I can only do so much to change my life with one insight at a time anyway, so I can get better and better as I become more and more integrated, which happens each time I go through a process like this. I find some pattern that's shadowy and ugly that I don't like, and then I give it some love and I incorporate it into my personality in a healthy way. You know, the shadow, it can be like an overbearing parent in terms of trying to keep you protected. It sometimes reminds me of like, a caged wild animal that if you approach it, it'll like swipe at you and come at you and attack you. It's scared and it is defensive for a reason. It learned to be that way. It learned to stay in the shadows. And when that flashlight comes around, it's like, ah, no, the light. It's like, it's like the wicked witch melting in the water or the vampire that disintegrates in the sun. It's the part of us that we have monsterified stepping into the light of day. And that is scary for it, for that part of yourself, because ego death is real. And the subconscious is magnificently strong. It's allowing you to function on a level that you would not be able to do if everything in your subconscious was made conscious. You would be non-functioning, <laughs> not just because of all of the content in your shadow that you find threatening, but also because your subconscious is a badass. It's managing all of these automated functions for you so you can drive down the road without thinking about driving your car. You can think about something else consciously while your subconscious kicks in and you go into autopilot. And the shadow kind of hangs out in that area. But it's another thing. It's the toxic element of the subconscious. It's the part that is not helping you function, but preventing you from functioning as your whole authentic self. I don't think the point is to make all subconscious things conscious. The point is to make the conscious things that are haunting us from the inside out conscious so that we can stop sabotaging our relationships and our dreams. And so we can stop being ashamed of the way that we show up in the world and we can take ownership of our lives and feel free on the inside. So I guess that's my first offering for Shadow Love Summer Camp which does not have a theme song. How does it not have a theme song? Shadow Love Summer Camp. <laughs> always, always, always gotta cheesify the thing. I gotta cheesify a thing. If you have the Shadow Love audio journey, if you bought that earlier, it should still be in your library at Gum Road. I'm going to be adding at least one installment to that this summer, maybe more. We'll see how it goes. You do not have to get the Shadow Love audio journey to enjoy the free content that I'm going to be creating here all summer long. But if you have it, just make sure that you get an email notification. You should. I think you'll just automatically get one 
when I add the new installment. And then, of course, I'll be shouting about that in the newsletter and here on the podcast. If you've never done the Shadow Love audio journey, but you want to, it's a lot like this. It's just me kind of shooting the shit about my experience with the shadow and what I see as shadow love, like shadow work with the point of loving a deeper sense of self-love. To me, this is a self-love journey and really stepping into your worth as a human being, your right to be here, your right to take up space and be who you were born to be. Gosh, I'm cheesy, but I love this stuff. So if you have not done the Shadow Love audio journey and you want to, it will be 50% off all summer long with the code GROOVY. If you put groovy in where it prompts you to put in a discount code it will roll 50% off the price and I always tell people make sure you see it knock the 50% off before you pay because every once in a while someone will buy a thing and think they use the discount code and then I have to refund their money so they can rebuy it (laughs) if it doesn't roll the price off the Discount code has been put in wrong somehow. So make sure it's all lowercase, just the word groovy all by itself. And um, yeah, let me know if you do that too. I want to know and we'll probably be following along with that on Discord. If you're hanging out with us over on Patreon, we do have a Shadow Love channel over there so we can talk about shadow stuff all summer long. If you're not on Discord, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm Joanna DeVoe on Twitter, and I love, love, love to hear from you all. Like, it makes my day. It makes my day. Say hi. And until we meet again, much love to you. Peace.